when someone doesn't show up when they're supposed to show up or where they're supposed to show up, you notice, right? And that's the point that Paul's trying to make in Romans chapter 12. If you have a Bible, open to Romans chapter 12. We also were waiting to see if anybody left. There was a camera running, so you guys did a good job. My name's Paul. I'm one of the pastors here. If we've never met, really glad that you guys are here with us this morning. Tim Mon, who's the lead pastor here at the Gilbert Congregation, is on a much-needed vacation with his family. So Tim and really most of his family works really hard to make sure that things happen here, not only on a Sunday, but throughout the week. And so we want to thank you uh, for your generosity that allows us to have things like vacation. We know not everybody gets that, so we don't take that for granted. Very thankful, and we are excited uh, for him and his family to get away, and uh, hopefully they come back recharged and refreshed. Romans chapter 12 uh, is where we are today in our text If you don't have a Bible, we're going to have the words up on the screen for you so you can read along with us. If you don't have a Bible at all, we would love for you to visit the Commons, uh, which is our bookstore and cafe in the middle of the campus. And there in the bookstore, we'll make sure that we outfit you with one so you can have that, take it home, read it, bring it, uh, and have it here with you when you are here together on a Sunday. Romans chapter 12, start in verse 3. Let's read through this together. For by the grace given to me... I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let's pray and ask God to help us work through this text together this morning. Father God, thank you for this day that you've created. God, you tell us in your word it's a day that you've made that we would rejoice and be glad in it. And God, um, we thank you that you are Lord of all and King of kings. And so, God, in spite of our circumstances, our issues, our struggles, our failures, God, we can be glad and rejoice in this day that you've given us. God, I thank you for this moment that you give us, this just brief time in our week where we can gather together and celebrate you, God, and look into your word and learn more about you and how you would live in a way that honors you. Holy Spirit, I pray for help. I pray that you would control me in this time. Um, God, I pray that you would protect Uh, just my own heart and mind, and um, during this time, God, that I would say things that make much of you and that point to our Savior, Jesus Christ. God, I pray for the person who's here today who, by their own admission, God, would just say that they are far from you or they don't know you, and God, I just pray today that you would do what only you can do. God, that is illuminate hearts and minds. God, make yourself known in a radical way. We love you, and it's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Paul starts in, um, in verse 3 in chapter 12, talking about grace. He says, for by the grace given to me. So grace is something that we talk a lot about here. And grace is not just something that's meant to get us out of here and into heaven. Grace is much more broad, much more robust than that. Grace is given so that we can be connected to Jesus and through him be connected or belong to and love one another. 
In this verse, Paul uses one particular Greek word, and it's compounds four different times. It's the word that's translated to think in, in your copy of the scriptures, and it carries with it the idea or the activity of estimating. I've, I've mentioned in here um, that I used to work construction with my dad, and when I worked construction, part of my job was estimating. And so I would go to the job site, and I would estimate what it was going to take to even prepare the place where we would pour the concrete. So what are some of the kind of expenses that go in there? And then how much material are we going to need? How long is it going to take? Try to estimate some of the unforeseen things. And um, if I did a good job, we could potentially make money on that job. If I didn't, then I had a pretty serious conversation with my dad. Um, and, but this idea of estimating and Paul is saying, look, take a sober estimation of who you are. I have, when I get into home projects, by the way, I have completely lost all skill in estimation. I have been like upside down at home more. My wife thinks I'm making it up, but I'm really not. I just don't know what I'm doing. A literal translation of this verse here would read like this. Do not superthink of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but rather estimate yourself with sober thinking. Paul is talking to Christians and he's saying, look, think inside the box. The idea is that Christians ought to have a realistic appreciation of themselves, not puffed up and conceited and arrogant, but not dragging themselves down into the mud either. And the, and the key concept or the key idea that Paul is presenting here is this idea of humility, knowing who you are in God. And Paul's just spent the past 11 chapters kind of laying that out for us. Pride, the opposite of humility, comes from super thinking about yourself, dwelling on your own supposed greatness. In the book of Genesis, chapter 11, verse 4, you don't, you don't have to turn there, but there's a story of these people who are building the Tower of Babel, of maybe if you remember from the flannel graph days, this story. And, and pride is illustrated just really exactly in, in this verse, in Genesis, chapter 11, verse 4. It says this, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens. Th these people, they wanted to build something that would impress others. That's not unlike us in our own life. That's what we want. We want to build something out of our life that would impress or get the recognition from others. And maybe your, your reasons are all different. Reasons could be relationally. You want to impress somebody so they can get the guy, get the girl. You want to just impress somebody. You want the affirmation from your dad, from your parents. Or you want the affirmation or the appreciation from your coworkers, from your peers in your industry. You want to be known as a leader. Or you're trying to build something into your life. The next part of the verse says, so that we may make a name for ourselves. They were seeking fame and significance in their accomplishments. Kids are going back to school now and they're going to start bringing home papers. My kids, when they come home from Sunday school here on a Sunday, they've colored or scribbled something. And so what do we do when we want to recognize that? It goes on the fridge, right? I don't know. We got all these weird scribblings on the, on the fridge, but they're there because we want to recognize their accomplishment of not being able to color in the lines. I don't know what we're doing. We're just trying to support them. Um, my wife and I, we dated long distance for like five years when we were dating. When I would go visit her at her parents' house in North Georgia, uh, on their refrigerator, in their, in their kitchen, their refrigerator, the whole side of the fridge is covered in photos, like family, friends, and missionaries that they support, people in their church, and it's just kind of like a, a big deal. It's kind of like a who's who of who they know on the fridge. And for like five years, I was not on the fridge. <laughs> and I talked to my wife, I was like, what in the world? What's with these people? Why, why don't they like me? How can I not get on the fridge? And I mean, I'm in it. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not quitting on this. In fact, we were engaged. I mean, there was a ring on her finger. I was like, this is legitimately happening. We're going to get married. I'm going to be in your family. Put me on the fridge. <laughs> And uh, finally, after we were married, there's like this, they like basically cut the picture out of my driver's license and stuck it in the corner of the, of the fridge. But at least I made the fridge. 
And then we had kids, and now I'm right back to where I belong, off the fridge, and it's covered in pictures of my kids. That's okay. They're cute. The next part of the verse, it says, not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. They were afraid that they would lose their place. They were, they were afraid that they would not be noticed. That sounds a lot like us. I, I want to be recognized for what I've accomplished. I want to build something that impresses somebody. I want to make it on the fridge. And I don't want to lose my place. But what God did in this story and what God does in our lives as well is God scattered them so that they had to rely on him. We want people to see us for all the things that we do instead of who we are in Christ, which is children of the most high God. But just like that's not enough for us most days, it wasn't enough for them. So we talk about pride. That's a good illustration or picture of pride. Let's unpack humility. I'll start with what humility is not. Humility is not false humility. When we look at people and we say, well, I'll just I'll never be as good as them. I'll never be as smart as Tyler. I'll never be able to play the guitar like Joel. I'll never, I'll never be as good as them. Humility is not self-pity. That's just depression. Humility, humility is not self-degradation. It's not saying, well, I'm not very good at this, or I'm not very good at that. I mean, if I, if I stand up here and say, I'm not very funny. I don't have a great personality. That's not humility. That's lying. I'm hilarious. <laughs> humility is not putting yourself down. Self-pity and self-degradation are not humility because those words both have self in them. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 and 4 says, Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more important than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. There's a little experiment to kind of work on this, this week and, and just kind of things to think about. How much do you think about other people? How, how long can you go without thinking about yourself? When there's a picture of you in it, and it's like a group of picture, like a family photo or something like that, who's the first person that you look at in the picture? That's how you determine whether or not it's a good picture, right? Your family's beautiful. Everybody's like, the kids are finally all smiling at once, but you're like looking awkward, and you're like, throw that one out. That's no good, right? The idea of humility is absolutely central to the discussion of spiritual gifts, and humility is a gift that's beyond our, our reach. It's, if humility is produced by our reaching or by our attaining, then we will instinctively feel proud about it. Humility is the ability to receive all things as a gift, thankfully and unselfconsciously. And, and pride in our relationships, we know this for sure, pride builds up walls. Humility builds bridges. And what Paul is saying here before he even launches into the discussion on gifts, he says, think soberly about yourself. Estimate yourself correctly. Know yourself. Know your strengths and your weaknesses. Know what you can do and what you can't do. Continues in verse 4. For as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. When we talk about church, we're not just talking about a building the church is not building-centric. We don't orbit around a building. We are Jesus-centric. We orbit around him. He is the head, and the people are woven together in him. P Paul, this is not uncommon for Paul to use these pictures. He often talks about the church in these similes or, or word pictures. And in fact, in Ephesians chapter 2, um, he... he references the church again. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. You don't have to turn there. If you don't want to write down the verse, we'll put it up on the screen here. It says this. 
So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So church is not just a place to attend, but it's somewhere that you live in and belong to. You don't attend your house. You don't get off work and be like, well, I guess I'm going to go attend home now. I try to check in there every, you know, twice a month if I can, if whatever. You live in and you live out of your house. When you invite people over to your house you're, you're to, for a dinner or something or a meal, you're not just inviting them into the building where you eat and sleep. You're inviting them into your life. You're inviting them to you. If we kind of continue with this house simile for us here too, when you go to someone's house, you don't walk in and start rearranging the furniture because you don't like the way that it's done or like the way that it's set up. Right? You say, hey, Marge, help me grab that couch. It shouldn't be over here. It should be over here, right? Well, the same thing with our house. Our house is his house, but God has placed leaders in his house, along with strict standards and warnings, by the way, to lead his house and arrange his house in a way that makes much of Jesus and leads people to love him and to love others. I love how Paul talks about the church. I love the different pictures that he uses, the way that he describes us as a household, as a family, as a body. You see, church is not just about your attendance to a place. God doesn't care about church attendance. I'll let you catch your breath there. God doesn't care about church attendance, especially when your life outside of the building doesn't reflect or breathe in or make much of or tell anybody about Jesus. When you live uh, fragmented and disconnected from other followers of Jesus, you don't love your neighbor or serve anybody Monday through Saturday, the fact that you come in here and occupy a seat for an hour and 15 minutes on a Sunday doesn't mean much. There are no perfect attendance pins in heaven. When Paul gives us the picture of the church like a household or like a body, it changes our consumeristic mentality from what's in it for me to I'm in it with Jesus. We go from a people who are constantly asking the question, saying, well, what's in it for me? Why would I go? What will I get out of it? To I can't believe I am in it with Jesus. I can't believe that we are joined together and we are in it with Jesus. In, in a household, the people of that household have things to do. You ever, you ever been a part of a household where someone's not carrying their weight and it's pretty, it's pretty obvious? You know, like every, we call them chores. Everybody has chores, right? So my particular chore in my house is I take out the trash, among other things. And you can tell when I have not done my particular task in the house because the garbage can overflow. People in my family think that garbage can is just like a magical thing where like if I just dump more on top of it, even though it's full, it'll just somehow go away. It doesn't work like that. But you can tell when I have not done my job because there's trash kind of everywhere. And it's the same thing here. We feel it. We feel it when members of the household are not contributing the way that they should be contributing. And we have to pray and we have to ask God to move us from being consumers to being consumed by him. In, in the book of Acts, the, the, the book that's literally written about the Acts of the early church, in chapter 2, verse 42, it says that the believers devoted themselves. They devoted themselves to, to the fellowship, to hanging out with each other. They devoted themselves to prayer, to the teaching of God's word, to the common meal. They devoted themselves. And it's our devotion, church. It's our devotion that that's the difference between coming to church and becoming the church. 
Our devotion is the difference between just simply coming to church and becoming the church that God wants us to be. And we should have a collective devotion that builds on our individual devotion to Jesus Christ. The scripture tells us that God gave up his life for us. So the church, we exist because Christ wasn't a consumer, but because he was willing to be consumed. And we exist to tell that message and to celebrate that story, to make that story known. Be a contributor, not a consumer. At the end of this life, Christian, we want to hear well done. That's what we want to, that's what we want to hear said over us. And if that's the case, then you have to actually do something. The, the Bible says that we are co-laborers. We are his workmanship. We are created for good works. The church is not a club. It's not a cause. It's a body. It's a living, breathing, changing, growing organism. Not just one of many good organizations that you can check in and check out of. So Paul says here in, in Romans chapter 12 that the church is a body. It has many parts with many functions, and they all serve a larger purpose. So three things in particular we're going to look at at, at bodies. Um, there are many parts to a body, both visible and non-visible. Every part of the body is important, especially in the body of Christ. There are no tonsils in the body of Christ. Every part depends on every other part. In a body, there's unity among diversity. Not all of your body parts are the same. It's the same in the church body. We have different functions, different gifts, backgrounds, preferences. And, and this truth that Paul is teaching here, it would have been especially helpful and important in Rome at this time. And Jews and Gentiles were struggling to find common ground inside the church. And sometimes we have that same struggle even here today in, in our own church. But the level ground of the cross of Christ gives us the ability to look past our preferences and differences and love one another. A healthy church, the kind of church that we want to be, is, is a church that's made up of all kinds of people from different backgrounds and different stories, and we join together based on the same common faith and love in Jesus Christ. We don't all have to share the same politics or like the same music or live in the same neighborhoods, because that's not what it's about. What we do share, however, is a deep-seated love for Jesus Christ, and that should be enough to hold us together despite our differences and despite our preferences. And it should allow us to joyfully work together so that those around us, especially those that are far from Christ, might be filled with life in Christ, and that we would be spurred on as followers of Jesus to take next steps in our relationship with him. You, you probably can't tell just by looking at me, um, but I'm an awful basketball player. I'm terrible. I'm terrible. I really like basketball. I'm just not good. Um, I, I played one year of organized basketball, semi-organized. I, I was in seventh grade, JV, junior high. So that's the level. I think they created like a whole other category for, for me. And I sat the bench, remarkably. But my coach would put me in the last 30 seconds of every quarter, and I would run like a maniac from the top of one key to the top of the other. And I was, I was a zoo. I was about this tall. And I had uh, rec specs, so the goggles, uh, a flat top that my dad gave me with the Floby. Thanks, Dad. Um, and, like, shorts to here. And Converse high top all-stars. Not because, like, they were cool and trendy, but because my dad, when he was in the 50s, like, was at PE. That's what they wore, and so that's what I wore. So that's why I got bad ankles. Anyway, and I would go in the last 30 seconds of every game, and I would run like this. Throw me the ball, throw me the ball. And if the ball came anywhere near me, I would just grab it and then just heave it. I don't, in any direction, it didn't matter. So anyway, I sat the bench. The church, thankfully, is not like a basketball team because everyone participates at the same time. There is no bench in the local church. 
There is no bench in the local church. For this to happen, for us all to work together and participate at the same time, God has equipped us with gifts that allow us to make much of him and serve and love one another. And Paul breaks those gifts down in the next couple verses here. Verse 6. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. And Paul says we all have different and various gifts. The literal translation for this is grace gifts. All of the gifts are from God, given to those who believe, followers of Jesus Christ, and and come to saving faith in Jesus and empowered by the Spirit of God. Kind of an easy definition for spiritual gifts. The spiritual gifts are God in you, blessing others through you. A spiritual gift is God in you, blessing others through you. So God blesses me by giving something to you. Three basic truths about spiritual gifts. Every believer has at least one spiritual gift. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have at least one spiritual gift. No believer has all the gifts. And lastly, your spiritual gift enables you to serve the body of Christ. A healthy church, the kind of church that we want to be, is a church where every believer is using his or her spiritual gift for the good of the congregation and the community. Paul lists seven gifts here in Romans chapter 12 and other passages like 1 Corinthians 12 and Ephesians 4. He gives other lists, and when you combine them together, there's about 19 different spiritual gifts. And the first one he mentions is prophecy. Prophecy is the ability to speak authoritative truth from God. It's the active enablement to proclaim God's word already written in Scripture. In, in first century, it probably referred to receiving direct messages from the Holy Spirit. Today, it can, most people believe it refers to those people who can take the word of God and make it shine, which is the root meaning of the word. Of the gifts that are listed here, this is probably the one that people have the most questions about. Luke Simmons, who is a lead pastor at Gateway Congregation, wrote a blog, and it's really a fantastic little article. It's on our website at redemptionaz.com, redemptionaz.com. If you scroll down to the post section, right on the front page there, it's the first one on the left, but it's, a, it's fantastic, and it gives different kind of perspectives on this gift. Also gives um, a, a good tool if you're trying to discover like what your spiritual gifts might be. There's something that's helpful there and some link to some other helpful resources, but um, we're not going to spend too much time on it here this morning, but that would be a great stop for you if you have some continued question specifically about that gift of prophecy. The next uh, gift that Paul mentions in this text here is serving. And serving is a general term that means to wait on tables. People with this gift prefer to work behind the scenes. They don't seek limelight or attention or reward or notice for their work. They quietly go about their business and look for ways that they can help others. Teaching, the next gift, is the ability to take the word of God explain it clearly, and make application to the lives of the hearers. And this gift can take place in many venues on a Sunday morning in a setting like this or in a small group or even in a one-on-one conversation or discussion across the table. The primary difference between teaching and prophecy is not in content but in the distinction between the ability to proclaim and the ability to give systematic and regular instruction in God's word. The next gift is exhortation or encouragement. And Christians with this gift instinctively gravitate towards those who are struggling. They they see those who are faltering and they reach out to them. And and just as prophecy proclaims and teaching uh, systematizes and explains truth, exhortation calls believers and walks alongside them so that they might obey and follow truth even when they feel like giving up. 
Giving is the next gift that Paul mentions, and all believers are called to give generously and joyfully, but some believers have been specifically gifted by God in this area. These Christians are not always necessarily wealthy, but they do find great joy in sharing their resources with others. And often people with this gift, they, they love to give anonymously or giving in secret, and they don't seek any thanks or public uh, recognition. When, when Paul says to contribute or give in generosity, he's talking about giving single-mindedly. In other words, without ulterior motives. You're not giving a resource or giving funds so that you can work an angle to perpetuate something on your own agenda or so that you can get the applause or praise of people. But the only reason that you're giving is for the sake of the one that it might help and ultimately for the glory of God. Mentioned next in this section is the gift of leadership. And the word means uh, literally to stand in front of a group. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul refers to the same gift by a different name. He calls it administration, which means to guide. And Paul includes a warning with this. He says, you, when you lead or when you guide, administrate, do it with zeal. Uh, and that's and a warning to beware of laziness. And then finally, Paul mentions the gift of mercy. And this is a gift that enables the believer to reach out to others who are hurting with the love of Christ. It carries with it the idea of actively demonstrating sympathy for someone else and having the necessary resources to successfully comfort and strengthen that person. These people have a special sensitivity to suffering and sorrow, um, the ability to notice uh, misery and distress that might go unnoticed by others. But, but it's not just sympathetic feelings, it's feelings that are put into action. And Paul adds that this genuine helper serves with gracious cheerfulness and isn't condescending or patronizing. Now, I know that one of the reasons that we in the church do not use our own particular gift is because we see someone in the church that's a, like a really great hand. And we think, well, they're just a really great hand and they're doing a lot of work. And I, I mean, I'm just an elbow. I mean, look at me. I'm kind of like this funky elbow. You pinch my skin, it doesn't hurt. Try it, it really doesn't. Um, and so you think, well, well they're hands. I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm, they don't need me. I'm not going to do anything. And so the hands are the ones who just kind of have to pick up the slack and, and do all the work. Don't let someone else's giftedness intimidate you into paralysis. Don't let someone else's giftedness intimidate you into paralysis. Because that happens all the time in churches. And, and, and when that happens, this is what our churches look like. These are Hulk hands, by the way, if you're... I, got, I really just wanted an excuse to buy these. But, so now I got them. But this is what our churches look like. We got, some, we got some really strong hands. And so the people who are the feet were like, well, I'll just let the hands handle that. So the feet lock up. And the people who are the knees say, well, the hands got it. Our knees don't bend. And we just kind of get stiff in our lower back. And then our arms don't bend. And everything else starts to atrophy because it doesn't get used. And the hands are the only ones who are doing all the work. And you know what happens when the hands are the only ones doing the work? The hands get angry. Urgh. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. And that's what they do. They just go around. Now the hands are just kind of bashing on everything. Okay, I took that a little too far. But you get the idea. <laughs> You get the idea, our body starts to look deformed because there are certain parts that are working really, really hard because other parts aren't working at all. You must contribute to the body that you are a part of. 
You ever slept on your arm or hand weird and you go to wake up and it just won't move and it feels like your whole body is like under attack by these stinging needles? You're like, what is this? And you got to, like, it's just your arm, but you feel like you got to drag it around. The church looks like that a lot. It looks like, man, my whole left side of my body is just asleep. There are no passive participants in the local church. I get it. You say, well, yeah, the church is broken. The church has issues. You know what? You know what I have found? I often find that people that are the least impressed with the local church are also the most passive in the local church. The people that have the most amount of issues with the church are the people who are actually doing the least in the church. Don't be a critic. Be a catalyst. Don't be a complainer. Be a change agent. It could be that the reason that the church is lacking somewhere in the body is because you aren't doing the thing that God has called you to do and equipped you to do. Be a catalyst for change in the local church. Another reason we don't is we, we let gift envy steal our joy. Everyone wants to stand up and, and lead something. Everyone wants to be up here, which I don't understand. Everyone wants to be up front. No one wants to set up chairs. This is probably not the most effective use of our manpower and resources. But every ministry here that has a corporate gathering, so like student ministries, 710, for the past seven years, every Monday morning, I have set up for Tuesday night gatherings. Lifting speakers, setting up, and this is not to pat us on our back. This is an intentional part of our culture. And I get it, it probably is not the most like streamlined process. It probably, I mean, maybe, maybe it could be spent time somewhere else. But, but it's, it's intentional in our culture because serving and using your gifts leads to self-forgetfulness. When you exercise your gifts, you bless others, and you are simultaneously astonished at God's goodness. I see this a lot with people who really do have, like, the gift of either mercy or especially, especially giving. And, you know, kind of I'm, I'm around them, or they're able to do something, either bless my family or bless another family in a church, or just kind of contribute on some level. They never even, th this is what's so great. They, first, they are blown away that God would even resource them like that in the first place. And then the fact that he allows them to give it away, it energizes them. They're blessing other people. They're using their gifts. Great joy. And the bottom line is they are astonished at the goodness of God. And I love that. I love that. And, and God loves that. And that's the way that he's designed us to, to operate. Now, this discussion on gifts, it ultimately leads to the question, and maybe you're anticipating it, but what are you doing with the gift or gifts that God has given you? Christian, what are you doing with the gift or gifts that God has given you? What would this church look like if everyone was like you in this regard? If everyone served and exercised their gift like you, what kind of church would this be? If everyone had the same attitude as you, if everyone uh, was as joyful as you, would this be the kind of place that people would actually want to belong to? Would this be a household that you would want to live in and live out of? How would our ministries be staffed? How would our ministries be funded if people served and give and exercised their gift like you? And if this line of questioning feels uncomfortable to you, perhaps the Spirit of God wants you to do something about it. And, and, and I, I want to be really clear here because I am not approaching this from like a scarcity perspective 
Like, oh, if you guys don't do it, we really got to have people to staff. If you don't give, like, it's all going to fall apart. Because I hate that. I hate when pastors and leaders stand up here and beg you. Because Paul starts this discussion and he starts talking about grace. The super abundance of God himself in your life. And he's not, he's not begging. He's saying, would you check out what you get to do? Not what you have to do, but what you get to do. The grace of God in your life allows you to do this. The grace of God gives you the very gift of Jesus Christ. And if that wasn't enough, there's extra gifts on top of that. There's a, there's a church, um, I've been there a couple times, I have some friends that go there, and, and if you serve there, they give you the title of uh, door holder. They don't call them volunteers, and, and they, they say a volunteer fills a slot, gives some time, but a door holder, and I like this language, door holder is someone that's been on the inside of the house and that experienced the atom bomb, just the radical grace of God, and they're someone that wants to make it easier for others to encounter the grace of Jesus Christ. And I love that picture. I love that picture of, yeah, I am holding open the door so that someone else can experience what I've experienced because it's that amazing. And the very least that I could do is make it easier for you to experience the grace of God like I've experienced the grace of God in my life. When you, when you take this mentality, this perspective, you just say, by the grace of God, I'm in the household of God. I'm a member of the body of Christ. All right, so so what? So what I love about this passage, I think it gives us some really practical kind of so what's to, to, to what we've looked at. The, the first so what's category would be study. Um, in, the, in the bookstore, in the commons, um, is, is this resource. It's a, it's a study guide by R. Paul Stevens. Um, you can pick one of these up today. This would be great for you to do together in a small group in your redemption community or just with a group of friends, um, which could also be your redemption community. Not that you don't have friends in your RC. I don't know what I'm talking about. But you should pick one of these up. This would be great. This would be something that you could work through either on your own or in your small group. Uh, I mentioned Luke's blog. That's a great resource, uh, redemptionaz.com. Big R uh, is Community and Global Initiatives is having a Love Your Neighbor workshop that is designed to help you think through how to use your job, time, passions, resources for God's glory and to love your neighbor. That information is in your bulletin, but it's August 23rd at Redemption Tempe from 9 a.m. till noon. You can register at the info desk today before you leave. Um, or again, that information's in there, but a Love Your Neighbor workshop. So the first kind of category, study, you can look more into this and kind of explore this more on your own. The second would be just to serve, to serve. And we, there's, there's two kind of avenues. There's inside the house ministries, things that we do here, things that we do here on a Sunday and things that we do here through the week. The first is redemption kids. I've got three young kids, so I'm very thankful for this ministry and what they're doing and the fantastic people that work in it. And right now, redemption kids has a, has a real need for people that want to work with special needs kids. And if you've got the capacity, the ability, the time, or you just want to love somebody, that would, be a, that would be a fantastic place for you to plug in, Redemption Kids. Student ministry led by Matt and, and Justin. You've seen the videos from summer camp and winter camp. Um, I have the absolute honor and, and, and blessing a couple winners now to be able to go and teach at their winter camp, and it's just incredible. And, and they have people on their staff that give them their time on their Wednesday nights and time on their Thursday nights and time early throughout the week being available to junior high and high school students making a huge difference in the next generation. 710, the ministry that I lead, 
I would love it. This is a ministry to college students and young adults. And every Tuesday night we gather, or the first three Tuesdays of, of the month we gather, and then they have small groups in that structure too. But here, here's what I would love. I would love adults that would come and stand in the gap with me and, and shout to this generation, you do not have to waste the next four, eight, 10 years of your life chasing the pursuits that the world says that you have to have, that what society and culture says that you have to have, but you can stand in the gap with me and proclaim that Jesus is better and you don't have to waste your life during that critical age stage. Guest services, I'm repping them today with my shirt. I get to work alongside with uh, a ministry led by Brett Osborne and Brenda Porch and these are some of the most fantastic people on our campus. They prepare communion for us to take. We're gonna take in a while, then they clean up after you like they're your mommies and they hold open the door for you and they pass out bulletins and they help you find your seat. And they basically do whatever it takes to make sure that you have a great experience in the house and work guest services. Tech ministry, if you've got some savvy, some aptitude, some ability there. Worship, now a little caveat, you do have to audition. So I realize you sound awesome in your car and you probably crush it on Guitar Hero, but you're gonna have to audition. But you could, you could, you could lead in the house and, and worship. Women's and men's ministry, they have different gatherings you can be a part of. Compassion ministry, um, led by Curtis Field. This, this is like an under-the-radar, just out-of-the-park ministry. So every week, we encourage you to submit prayer requests, and the staff and the team of people in compassion ministry pray over these prayer requests. But not they don't just pray over them, they respond to those prayer requests and reach out to people who are hurting and really struggling and going through difficult seasons of life. That's a fantastic ministry. M25, that was, that's happening today. That's that's kind of the collection arm of our community and global initiatives facilities. Maybe you got extra time on a, on, a, on a Saturday. You want to walk around campus and help get the house ready for Sunday. Join a redemption community. If you're not in a redemption community already, you need to join a redemption community. Uh, you can, one of the inroads through that is in Launch Point. You want to discover your spiritual gifts. It happens best in the context of community. And it's exercised best in the context of community. And redemption community is just perfect. Ethiopia and Alaska, you've heard us talk about that, that we have those trips coming up in 2015. Those are kind of inside the house ministries, places where you can serve and exercise your gift. Outside of the house, there's people in our church who do Bible studies at work. You might be able to start that or in your, in your school, in your class. I know Matt and Justin are trying to get some of those going in your school, doing Bible study there. You could serve your neighbors. You, you might be able to, to watch your neighbor's kids for, for an hour or so. And I realize you got three kids, but add two more. When you got one, it doesn't matter. It's all blur anyway. And just with more kids is fine. But just kind of have them over and say, tell that stay-at-home mom, just say, look, you want an hour just to kind of get your sanity back? Like take a nap or whatever, you know, you got to do. Um, un unplug, you could do something like that. Some of you do have the gift of giving, but for some of you, making money is really, really easy. Um, you can cultivate resources to fund initiatives and projects that make Jesus known and encourage believers. That's a special gifting that God has, has given you. There's a ton of things that you can do. Uh, again, that Love Your Neighbor workshop would, would, I think, be really helpful if you're looking for things that you could do outside the house. Here's the bottom line with, with what Paul has laid out for us this morning. God has gifted us to do something. Not because he needs us, but because he loves us. So what are you doing? What are you doing with the gift that God has given you? Let's pray. God, thank you for just this time together in your word. Um, God, in my own heart, in my own life, incredibly challenging, convicting. And um, God, I just, I thank you for um, the way that you gift us. God, I thank you for opportunities that you create for us to make you known. God, I pray, um, I pray that we would be 
the kind of church um, that is a healthy church because we are working together. And God, I know that we have different gifts and we have different parts, but God, just if it was all working together, it would just look so beautiful. And God, I pray that we would be that kind of place. God, I pray for the person who has just been kind of sitting on the bench. And God, I pray that by your spirit and by your kindness, God, today they would be motivated to serve others, God, to serve your church. It's in your name we pray.